The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. Can I have the volume just a little bit higher? It sounds like a, I don't want to have to be yelling. And then this is the awkward part where I have to talk nonstop while you... sounds like... I. Maybe that's okay. How does that sound? Does that sound okay? Okay. So welcome, welcome. It's nice to see you all. Yeah, I'm sitting here with a little bit of a heavy heart about uh, what's happening in the world. Yeah. Just to acknowledge that. And the emotions, right, that emotions arise as part of being human. And this practice offers how can we find freedom in the midst of emotions, with emotions. I know there was a time in my life when I thought, oh, freedom meant I wouldn't have any emotions. They were too messy and just got in the way. And, and that had no small part in my deciding to become a research scientist early in my life. Because I thought, oh, you know, scientists, that, that clearly they don't have emotions. And <laughs> turns out to be ridiculous, but uh, that's certainly, you know, what I figured or what I thought. But how can we find freedom with emotions, right? We don't get to choose when emotions arise. We don't get to choose when they leave. We don't get to choose their intensity, their duration, which ones. We don't get to choose any of that. As much as we would like to. As much as we would like to control and you know only have certain emotions and not other ones and only in convenient settings, not in other settings. But what does it mean to have like freedom with emotions, whichever emotions we're having? There's a few things we can point to about this, like what would it mean, I'm using this word freedom as a way to point to what would it mean to not be pushed around by our emotional life, not being like compelled to run away because we don't want to feel certain things or to avoid certain situations in order that we don't feel things or to always feel like we're chasing after certain emotions. What would it be like to have freedom ease, steadiness with the emotions that life brings us. So one thing is to recognize that emotions are part of the richness, the depth, the beauty of life. And so part of freedom is to have a whole range of emotions, not just the ones that we like and that are maybe socially sanctioned, 
but to all of them, because let's be honest, we do have the capacity for all of them, and we don't want to disown parts of ourselves or try to pretend it doesn't exist, excise it, get rid of it, these types of things, but to have the whole range, the whole range of emotions, because what we can feel emotionally is enormous. If you take in all the different flavors and intensities and kind of the different aspects of it, from this mild irritation to murderous rage, from this mild fondness to deep, unconditional love. Maybe some, even like you know, just some contentment to intense joy. So part of freedom with the emotions would be able to have this whole range to whatever is arising. And there's this part of the variety of the emotions that are available that humans have does provide for a, a life that, I use this word depth to it, it feels like that. So rather than just being on the surface, maybe it has some color or vitality or richness to life. So that's one way we might think about freedom with emotions. Another way is to actually be able to be with our emotions, whichever ones are arising, and not feel overwhelmed by them, not feel out of control in the sense that uh, we tip over into where we kind of like lose sense of our faculties in some kind of way or not feel like we have to get rid of them, but allow them to be there and to be able to be present for them that we can learn the lessons that they have to teach us. One way to consider emotions is as messengers, kind of like a way to communicate from ourself to ourself. There's something that's being communicated with emotions Sometimes it's clear, sometimes it's not clear. But one way to consider about freedom with emotions is to be able to be with our emotions when they arise. And then also to be able to unknot things when when it gets tangled and messy and we feel tight and constricted, either because we're trying to avoid something or have more of something, or maybe we just feel a wave of emotions and we don't even know what it is. But we want to be able to feel like we can unknot things when that's appropriate, when things feel jumbled up and confusing and we found ourselves lashing out or closing down or something like this. So another part of having freedom with emotions is also to learn to have some of the skill, the capacity to unknot them, untangle them. Another thing we might think about having freedom with emotions is to have confidence that whatever emotion arises, that we can be with it that we're not going to get so overwhelmed or that it's not going to send us into a spiral that we can't 
work with or be with. Sometimes we have fear of emotions, so maybe we're not consoling somebody who, for example, terrible diagnosis or a loved one has died. Maybe we're not offering support to them because we're afraid of our own sadness that might arise. Or maybe we're not having some difficult conversations because we're afraid of our own anger or their anger or what might happen. So part of freedom with emotions is to have confidence that whatever emotion arises that we can be with it as best we can. We can stay in it, not like detach in some kind of way in which we are a bit cold and detached and a little bit removed. But to be there with the experience and to have the confidence that it's okay, it's okay, even though it might be exactly what we don't want. And it's okay. So how, how do we have this freedom with emotions? Notice that what I've been talking about is like, it's all about like our relationship to emotions. Our way that we respond to them, the way that we react to them, the way that we hold them pushing them away or trying to shove them down or maybe just holding on or maybe even trying to like fabricate a little bit thinking that oh this is what I should feel but so how can we have some freedom with emotions how can we understand our relationship to our emotional life Because all of us have an emotional life. It's true for some people. Maybe they have this really rich emotional life that they're in touch with, that they can express, and they have the vocabulary to even describe. And for some people, maybe it's not so clear. Their emotional life might be kind of like the three main ones, or mad, sad, glad. That's okay. We start where we are. Part of being with relationship to emotions is maybe to like increase our emotional vocabulary, awareness. Just not an easy process. It's not something like you just decide, okay, I'm going to be more in touch with my emotions. It can start by just occasionally saying, well, how am I feeling right now? And I was touched that uh, Jack Cornfield, he writes in one of his books, I don't remember which book I read this in, that uh, he was a, a monk in Thailand. And then when he came back to America, he... Uh, kind of back in the American culture and all the expectations and 
things, he realized that he really didn't have a rich emotional life. And partly, you know, being a monastic, it was very sim- much simpler for him to kind of like be a steady and quiet. But he realized that he had just completely detached himself from his emotional life and he had it to, he found a list of emotions, a long list, and he discovered that he had to familiarize himself. Well, what is this? I don't even really know what awe feels like. I don't really know what disappointment feels like. How is that different than just sadness or frustration or thrill? You know, these types of things. So I want to normalize that some people have a really rich vocabulary experience and other people have, uh, maybe, have less. But one thing that I think is important to also say that whatever idea, whatever notions we have about which emotions are appropriate, which ones are inappropriate, how they should be expressed, how they should not be expressed, all these ideas about one's relationship to emotions, they are always historically and culturally situated. There is no one right way to be with it. Even somebody who sits up here and talks about emotions, right? You know, I'm coming from my culture and my time. We can understand that in the Buddha's time, he, we don't even really have a word that we translate as emotion. It's fascinating, right? They just had a different way that they kind of like sliced up the pie of emotion, I'm sorry, of the human experience, and they didn't label one just emotions. Fascinating, right? That for us, it seems like, well, that's so obvious. Why wouldn't they? As a little aside, I'll say they more had like mental states and bodily states. And emotions are a mixture. And some, for some of us, that was a little bit of a wake-up call. Wait, do you mean, what do you mean it's both the body and the mind? So if we pay attention to our inner life, we'll discover that every emotion has both a physical, somatic, bodily aspect to it, as well as a mental aspect to it. And part of the way that we can work with emotions is to kind of like tease apart those two aspects and to be with the bodily one, to be with the physical one, the tightness in the throat, the fluttering in the belly, the I'm like feeling into my heart because my heart feels a little broken or I have a little bit of heartbreak these days. I don't know what is it? I use the word heartbreak. So often also just to recognize that, you know, all these cultures and times in history have uh, relationships to emotions. Some cultures, you know, tend to be a little more, appear to be more stoic, and some appear to be, you know, kind of like exuberant. Just also to say, including even like the Dharma subculture, right? Of course, there's something here. We have a something that we talk about emotions too. 
But one of our relationships to emotions might be that uh, we have some resistance to them. And it turns out that often it's not the emotions themselves, but our resistance to the emotions. That it turns out to be where the difficulty lies. I heard this in a Dharma talk years ago, and I thought, oh, that's cute. I wonder if it's true. And uh, I've since... uh, heard a neuroscientist say this, I'm like, okay, so here's like independently validated this idea that uh, emotions only last for 90 seconds. They arise, we feel them, and they pass away. And you may say, but wait, you know, I've been angry for hours, days, years, (laughs) sad for decades. Like, what do you mean, 90 seconds? Yeah, it's fascinating how there's, often it's the story, it's the mental part, it's the, I shouldn't be having this, or who do they think they are, or I can't believe this is happening again. It's these type of uh, narrations, these commentaries, that are fueling the emotions. And kind of like keeping them there. And I think if all of us, if we look closely at all those emotions that tend to stick around, we aren't having an openness of like, wow, sadness feels like this. I have this pressure behind my eyes. I have this heaviness in my shoulders. I feel like I kind of want to collapse. Wow, this is what sadness feels like. Hmm. And just to be with it and not to just keep on going with the stories. It's human nature. Of course we have a narrative and why we're sad and what we've got to do to get to stop it and all these kinds of things. Of course we do. But it turns out that that's extra. And there's a way that we can maybe take away some of the authority and the power of this narration. And then it just starts to atrophy. So, one of our relationships to emotions is that we might have resistance. And we might know or might indicate that we have some resistance if we just in general feel uncomfortable talking about emotions or We notice ourselves doing frequent things just to distract ourselves so that we don't feel emotions. So many of us have these electronic devices that now are designed to do precisely that. Want to distract yourself? Here, pay attention to this. Right? It's uh, been capitalized on this kind of wish to distract ourselves or... Maybe we do a lot of procrastination because we don't want to be with our emotional life in some way. So that's kind of a way of avoiding or not quite being with uh, what's arising. Or maybe we have this idea that the spiritual practice means that we should become a little bit like 
a emotional somehow and may as well start now and I shouldn't have any emotions or it turns out not to be true spiritual people of course they have emotions what's different is maybe the duration intensity I don't know about the intensity one maybe the duration but they're not a problem they just arise like maybe anger is there and then it's gone okay Sadness is there and it's gone. I'm not a completely awakened person, so I can't tell you. But it's not like we stop becoming human, stop caring about things with this spiritual practice. So we might have some resistance to emotions, and there might be a way in which there's a part of us that kind of likes these emotions that can get us into trouble the greed or the hatred. There's a part of us that kind of likes these ones, that the anger, we might feel like this power and exhilaration and you know this real sense of self-righteousness, this real strong sense of self, the me against the world. I'm right, they're wrong. Don't they know who I am? How dare they? There's this way in we can feel like justified to do whatever we want when we're filled with hatred. We feel like this that's part of this exhilaration, this sense of vitality that can arise. Or maybe anger I'll put in there, anger, hatred, both of them kind of have that. Or maybe there's a way in which we like this kind of the greed because... Um, this is the whole ideal idea of being attracted. So we're so attracted to the object, but there's also a way in which we're kind of like attracted of just being attracted. It also can bring some juiciness to our lives. And, and then we're always kind of like maybe looking for the next thing to want. We have also a huge industry that supports this too. Medicine Avenue, right? All these advertising. Wow, we is that powerful? Partly because you know we we like. There's this way in which the the greed, or I'm using greed, right? The strong words here: anger, hatred, and greed. But to make a point that this uh, there's this this I don't know this want. To, I'm doing this with my body. I'm leaning forward partly because for me it kind of feels like that. This yeah, oh, I want this thing over there. And there's this way in which Okay, I don't have it, but the next moment, you know, I don't have to be with this moment. The next moment is going to have, it'll be better. Or maybe we have a certain attraction in some way with anxiety because maybe there's a way we have this belief if we worry enough about potential problems, then they won't happen. Or if we worry a lot, that's how we indicate that we care. And so we're attracted to feeling this worry or anxiety, even though it might be draining us or taking away some of our vitality or our ability to be with what's happening. So of course the downside to the anger or the hatred or the greed or the lust or the anxiety is it 
doesn't allow the best forms of ourselves, the best aspects of ourselves to come out, our greatest wisdom. We all have wisdom, of course we do. But it takes a lot of energy, too. At the time, it might feel like, oh, it gets to bring a lot of energy, but wow, does it take a lot of energy. We feel empty, we feel depleted. And then we feel like we have to chase after the next thing, maybe to replenish the energy. And maybe that chasing itself turns into an issue. Yeah, so our relationship to emotions is a place where we can practice, where we can notice our relationship. And is, is there a way in which we can have more freedom? have more ease, have more stability. Not making things go away, but to be able to stand on our own two feet in the midst of them. So here's a story. This also is from Jack Kornfield. But uh, I appreciate very much. I like this story. It's about a poison tree So a tree that has poisonous fruit. And then we might say that uh, in our lives we might discover like, oh, there's a tree and it has this poisonous fruit and maybe it's this greed or this hatred or this anger or whatever it might be. Whatever it might be. Have this poisonous fruit and we might say, well, let's cut this down. Let's cut down this tree before anyone is hurt. We don't want anybody else to eat the fruit, this poisonous fruit, and we don't want to eat this poisonous fruit, so we clearly we just have to get rid of this tree. And when we are faced with stress or loss or conflict or depression or sorrow in ourselves, we may think like, okay, I just got to get rid of this. You know, where is the saw? Got to chop this down and this Poison afflicts us, let's uproot it, get rid of it, we've got to chop it down. Of course we do. I've done my fair share of this. Of course I have, all of us have. And then maybe with a little bit more maturity, more life experience, we discover that... uh, well, there's this poison tree that has this fruit that's uh, poisonous. And maybe with our life, we've realized that to open to life, to open to what life brings us, requires a, this deep, heartfelt compassion for everything that's around us. And so encountering the poison tree, it's like, let's not cut it down. Let's not cut it down. Instead, we can put a fence around it. And the fence will protect ourselves. We won't go near the tree. And it will protect others and let everybody know that, okay, herein lies uh, poison. Don't go near it. And so out of kindness and care, they build a fence around the tree. and, And the tree also gets to have its own life. So just compassion for everybody, everything, is to build this fence. But, of course, it takes energy and 
lot of effort to maintain fences. So maybe a third type of person, or maybe even the same person in a different uh, situation, encounters a poison tree. And they see this tree, and they see the poison, and they have a different response. They say, oh, perfect, just what I was looking for. And they examine the fruit, they take it apart, maybe learn some of the ingredients, maybe isolate a little bit of it, combine it with some something else, and make medicine out of the poison. They transform it, they transmute it into something that is helpful, that can be healing for themselves and for others. So they're not trying to get rid of it or make it go away, but maybe they, you know, have learned something about these poisons. They're not afraid of them. And have the confidence and the wherewithal to not only to be with them, but to kind of feel into and discover what's helpful here. And to leave what's not helpful behind and combine it with, you know, a dash of compassion and some loving kindness and wisdom and all these other things to make some medicine. So what are some ways in which we can make medicine about out of some of these emotions? One is if we have this idea that our emotions are messengers from ourselves to ourselves so that there's something that's need to be learned or communicated or something that maybe isn't seen about the emotions then we can briefly reflect on why is this emotion arising in terms of, like, what, if, why is it useful? How can it be helpful? As opposed to just automatically thinking good or bad or something like this, to ask another question, like, how can this be helpful? What can I glean from this? Or what, uh, where's the, the, the medicine, maybe, inside? So what is skillful, what is valuable? And here are some ideas. Daniel Ingram had this, um, has this list. And this was helpful for me quite a number of years ago when I was having a lot of emotions and I, it just, I felt a little bit awash. And I found that this really helpful, so I'll share it just in case it's helpful for you guys too. So Daniel Ingram says, well, maybe in this, whatever emotion is having, is there something in there? Is there a wish for me or others to be happy? And can we tune into that and be sensitive to that, this wish for others to be happy, the wish for ourselves to be happy? Or maybe there's a wish for the world to be a better place for everybody, it's part of this emotion, has this, this part of this wish is part of it. 
Or maybe there's a wish for someone to understand something that could help them make their life easier. Part of this emotion is born in this wish for someone to understand something. Or maybe there's just a wish for things to be better. Can we tune into that, this wish, this idea, this notion that things can be better, this possibility, this aspiration for things to be better? Maybe part of the emotion is due to this wish for things to be better. Or maybe there's a wish for tranquility or the end of suffering for ourselves, for others. And this wish for the end of suffering, this is a wholesome wish. All of these are wholesome, skillful wishes. Maybe that's what's kind of like fueling these emotions or wrapped up in them, disguised inside these emotions or something like this. And is there a way that we can have this gentle inquiry? Is there something in this emotion that has an aspect that's related to compassion. That's related for the wish for the world to be better, ourselves to feel better, for others to feel better, for the world to be better. And compassion has this feeling in the heart, but it's a softness. And this softness can undo some of the brittleness that we find in some of these other emotions the ones that have a strong sense of me against you or us against them, which is exhausting and turns out not to be so helpful. There's this uh, verse in the Dhammapada. I don't have it in front of me, but it goes something like this. Hatred never ends with hatred. By non-hatred alone does it end. This is an ancient truth. Hatred never ends with hatred. By non-hatred alone does it end. This is an ancient truth. Of course. I like this translation, non-hatred, that's we could say is literally what the Pali says. Some translators will translate it as love. But I think that's asking too much. It's like non-hatred makes the room for all kinds of things. It doesn't have to be love. Maybe it can be a sincere wish for the suffering to end. Maybe it can just be some amount of respect for their humanity. So when we find ourselves in some of these emotions that aren't so helpful or skillful for ourselves, maybe we can find the compassion in them. Or maybe we can also find some of the skillful underpinnings, some of the ways that Maybe it's uh, not so directly compassion, but something else that's skillful. For example, fear 
can have as part of it this wish to protect, this wish to take care of ourselves, others. So maybe to feel into that. Or maybe anger just wants the word, the world to work well. Wants there to be a way in which there is not so much misery. Not so much suffering. Or maybe frustration comes from this caring sensation of anger being thwarted, that frustration is, I'm not expressing my anger because I care, but the frust- uh, there is some anger there, a little bit of anger, and to tune into the care, I'm not expressing my anger, I'm not expressing it, I'm not letting it get as big as it wants, and feel into that care, not a way that we're repressing or trying to shove down things, but like to recognize, yeah, it's not best for me, it's not best for others in this situation, to just feel the frustration as kind of part of care. Or maybe desire is rooted just in this wish to be happy, and certainly a part of desire can help us be happy. Not all of it. Some desires, right? They're skillful and unskillful, helpful and unhelpful. But to tune into that helpful part of desire, this wish to be happy. Of course we want to be happy. Everybody does. So maybe to tune into the, that wish and to recognize that that desire has maybe that as the root. Or maybe if we find judgment, we find ourselves judging, that's not good, that's not good, that's bad, and you know, all these types of things. Maybe we can tune into this wish for things to have this, uh, have a certain, maybe we can even say high standards. We don't want things to just atrophy and lots of entropy, you know, just get worse and worse and worse and fall apart. We want things to be as good as they can be. Maybe there's something in us that recognizes the beauty and the power and strength and others and in ourselves. And there's judgment maybe is a little bit of, we can, as an expression of our wish for that to be expressed. Maybe we can tune into that. So in this way, we can do a little bit of this transformation, taking this poisoned fruit and turning it into medicine. I'm not saying this is easy. Sometimes, right, we have patterns of how we express emotions and what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, and how to express them, and, you know, all these kinds of ways. And these patterns get uh, reinforced by our communities, our families. Of course they do. I keep on saying this word, of course, because it's so natural, right, that we have this. I don't want to say any of this is wrong, but also it's natural for us to maybe wish to express the 
beautiful parts of ourselves, to express the strength that we have, the wisdom that we have, and maybe to aspire for that to be for the benefit of all beings, for ourselves, for the people that we come into contact with, but in a way that we can be a support for whatever we encounter, whomever we encounter. So our relationship to emotions might sometimes get in the way of our ability maybe to transmute them into medicine. There might be a way in which we bat, oh, bat away certain emotions or some that we really hold on to. That's okay. We start where we are. We start where we are and where we are might be just to examine some of our beliefs. Maybe we have some ideas, I shouldn't feel this. Or maybe we have some ideas, right? and often these ideas are not so clearly articulated just a general sense, but we also might have ideas that every emotion we experience should be expressed freely and everyone should know about them. And and whatever emotion I have, it's the right one to have. And whatever intensity I have, it is the right one to have. And there's a way in which we might feel the opposite of kind of repressing, that we feel like we have to express it all the time. So we could just have like, what are my beliefs about maybe this emotion that I'm feeling now? Or maybe we could ask ourselves, what scares me about this emotion? Which, whichever emotion it happens to be. Or we could ask, if I were to fully feel this emotion, what would happen What would happen if I were to fully feel it? Feel it in the body? Not try to tamp it down? Yeah, our emotions are such a rich part of our human experience. And I don't think that humans, maybe as a species or as individuals, will ever get to the end where we have them all figured out and we understand them all. Or, like, in some ways, like, we will never be robots. There will always be a kaleidoscope, a richness, a depth, a beauty, ugliness. There will always be for humans. And so part of our relationship to emotions and it's where we can find the freedom for this wide, wide uh, spectrum or this, what's available in this, our inner life. And 
one way we might consider there's so many opportunities for us to make medicine. I want to reiterate, it's not, quite, it's not easy, it's not fast. There was a time when I was a chaplain uh, up in San Francisco General Hospital and um, I felt like, wow, there's, like, there's a lot of suffering that's in all hospitals, right, by definition, right? And um, I discovered this book. I, the, the author escapes my mind. It's a well-known book. But I think the title was like The Wounded Healer. And the notion was the idea that from our own wounds, our own difficulties, our own you know, emotions, or maybe unfinished business in our hearts, it was that that would allow us to connect with others. It was that our own difficulties, what we've learned, and our own vulnerability, our own emotional life, that allowed us to show up for others. And that the best chaplains were the ones that had a history of you know, being wounded in some kind of way. They, they knew what it was like to be wounded. And you know, that was quite helpful because otherwise we might feel like we have to have all the answers or we might you know, need to be, appear to be invulnerable or something like that. And that just is a big way of denying ourselves. So turning med- poison into medicine... with our emotions, finding freedom with emotions. I wish for all of you that you can find freedom with whatever emotions come your way. Doesn't mean it's not messy, (laughs) doesn't mean it's pretty or easy, but can you find freedom, whatever life brings you? Thank you. Sometimes I open for questions, but tonight I'm... um, I'd rather do this without a microphone. So if people want to come up and talk to me, you're welcome to, but uh, I'll, I'll do it with the mic off. So thank you, and I wish you a wonderful rest of the evening. <laughs>